Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Hello and welcome to another episode of Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence's Compliance Clarified podcast. My name is Susanna Hammond and I'm Senior Regulatory Intelligence Expert here at TRRI. Now, I'm delighted to welcome to our podcast series, which covers the exceedingly wide range of topics impacting compliance officers in financial services firms. The regulatory environment is ever changing for financial services firms around the world and has been even more challenging for compliance officers when dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. For this podcast, it gives me great pleasure to once again introduce my colleague, Mike Cowan. Mike has a wealth of compliance experience and was the co-author with me on the annual report on the cost of compliance, together with the snapshot update we did to take account of the pandemic. The TRRI cost of compliance report has been an annual event for the last 11 years and has been downloaded more than 55,000 times. Indeed, the 2020 reports have already been downloaded 800 times. The report gives an unparalleled insight into the challenges faced and the experiences of compliance officers from all sectors, sizes and geographies of financial services firms. The cost of compliance report seeks to clarify the issues and highlight the specific trends, as well as tracking the evolution of regulatory risk. This year, the cost of compliance survey itself closed before the depth of the impact of the pandemic had become apparent. Hence, we did the snapshot update. And it is the COVID-19 update to the cost of compliance, which we will be discussing. We'll kick off with the board um, and compliance challenges the board of a financial services firm is likely to face. Now, Mike, in the original cost of compliance report for 2020, the top three compliance challenges for the board were seen as balancing the budgets and increasing compliance costs, the volume of regulatory change, and then third, but absolutely not last, driving demonstrable cultural change. So how did all of that change um, with the COVID-19 update? Well, as we're recording just before Christmas, Susanna, a Merry Christmas to you. Um, <laughs> and in fact, I've got a bit of a, a Christmas-themed base for my reporting of the survey results. Um, in fact, instead of the 12 days of Christmas, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you the 12 main points of the cost of compliance COVID update. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to sing them, but we'll work through them um, as we go. So as you say, uh, the first three on my list, um, as you suggest, fall into the, into the compliance challenges bucket. Um, the challenges that boards are facing. So number one and top of the shops, I think, um, is culture. Boards saw a challenge with maintaining a good compliance culture during the COVID pandemic, uh, with homeworking and the need to adapt processes uh, that, to that environment and to be able to, to monitor uh, both staff and process. Uh, boards were clearly worried that compliance disciplines could slip during this time. And uh, I guess that's a, that's a, a, fair, a fair comment. In normal times, firms will have dedicated compliance processes, which, to be frank, in many cases, um, individuals don't even need to think about. They just follow the process. But as things have changed during the pandemic, perhaps more reliance has been placed on individuals' own conduct and uh, sense of what is right and wrong. And perhaps that hasn't been able to be changed quite as quickly as firms may have wanted. 
uh, and maybe that has added to Board's um, uh, nervousness around maintaining a good compliance culture. Um, number two on the list is cost uh, and trying to finance the recovery. Um, this, is re uh, this is reflected in both the main cost of compliance report from earlier in the year and this COVID update. Uh, at board level, uh, the monitoring of costs and budget will always be a priority. But with the pandemic, this has had unique pressures on firms uh, and their operating environments. And boards have had to balance these financial pressures. Uh, this is, of course, may have negative impacts on compliance functions who could be asked to tighten their belts uh, in order for the firm to react to the economic pressures. Um, um, but uh, the, the, the signs are the signs are positive that perhaps this hasn't quite been the case or hasn't been quite as tight as been the case. Mm. Um, number three um, uh, is worth mentioning, although is a bit of an ever present from a, from a cost of compliance report perspective. Uh, is regulatory change uh, and the need for firms to comply with, with the ever-changing regulatory environment and equally then conti continue to be compliant within their processes and procedures. Um, the pandemic has, uh, ha has seen this particular point relegated in the order of, uh, of challenges to the board, but it still remains there. And yes, through the pandemic, we've all seen regulations change on, on a reasonably frequent basis to adapt to the crisis. In fact, regulators have been applauded for making such changes. But nevertheless, it does pose a, a challenge to firms in trying to ad adapt their, their, their behaviours um, in, in a way that's compliant with these regulations. Yes, we've seen a lot on, on the side of regulatory forbearance. Um, and, and I suppose it's worth making the point that Regulatory for parents is not infinite, and firms have to understand that a lot of things will come back in on different timescales, and they're going to have to adapt to those, which is, in effect, yet more regulatory change. Um, yes, absolutely. So, yeah, so, so for the compliance function itself and the challenges they're facing, I mean, the original cost of compliance report We've mentioned regulatory change. That was keeping up with regulatory change is the biggest um, concern. Budget and resource allocation. But then also data protection was in third place. So for the compliance function itself, how is that now looking under the COVID-19 update we did? I mean, and what are the is the compliance function itself having to deal with on top of those original challenges? So I suppose continuing a bit of a theme um, in the old countdown, uh, the fourth and fifth points relate to uh, remote uh, oversight of staff and the disruption of business operations. Uh, these are seen as the main challenges for the compliance function itself. Um, and I guess this plays to the point that we've just been discussing in, from the board's challenges perspective, which is, and the one around uh, uh, compliance culture, I mean, it reflects the changes to, of working arrangements and brings uh, the challenges that home working um, ha has brought to firms to the fore. Um, the need to adjust to changing processes while make sure, make, making sure that first and second line are doing what they say they're doing uh, is seen uh, as a challenge. But in many ways, this working from home is a double-edged sword for compliance officers. 
because they're not only responsible for monitoring the compliance throughout the organization, but also responsible for making sure that the internal compliance processes in the compliance department uh, operate effectively as well. Um, and it may be, be more that, that um, automated processes such as horizon monitoring, for example, um, may be more easily uh, tra uh, transferable away from the office. Things where compliance rely on, on automated inputs and reports may be easier to manage uh, than perhaps the more physical or, or the disciplines that need more physical presence, such as mm -hmm. uh, compliance monitoring. Uh, where, okay, a large amount of monitoring may be able to do desk-based, but equally from a monitoring officer's perspective, it's, it's, it's just as uh, convenient and effective to go and chat to um, uh, an operator um, or a manager. Um, and that obviously can't be done quite as easily as you know, working within, within an office. So... Um, Just on that point, Mike, I mean, is that a particular challenge on the trading floors in that sense when, you know, the trading desks have effectively um, been operating from home, at least in part? Yes, it, it very much could be. Um, you know, trading uh, traders are very much used to having compliance officers wandering around the floor behind them, having a, having a presence um, uh, within the department and uh, that presence therefore goes to reinforcing and reminding traders of the of the in, in some small way perhaps but of the need to be compliant and to maintain uh, uh, their conduct mm -hmm. um obviously with with the trading process being on desks at home um then greater reliance is being placed on monitoring uh, systems uh, and uh, and uh, systems that allow managers to be able to monitor calls, monitor activity, uh, monitor trades uh, in in uh, in an appropriate way. And so and so, yes, trading floors are and trading managers and boards of, of trading firms um, have this this challenge that uh, that it's not as easy to manage the trading activity these days. No, it really isn't. And, and we've got a very recent example with the TFS ICAP fine of 3.44 million for printing trades when actually there was almost deliberate lack of oversight of the trading floors. So I mean, it's very much an area that's still a matter of regulatory focus. So for firms, I would suggest that's an area they do need to keep under really pretty active review, not only from the the market abuse perspective, but also how how is the monitoring, how is the oversight, how is the trade and transaction reporting that's coming out of the other end? Um, that there's no shortage of challenges when you have a suite of preventative and detective controls around a trading floor that's in an office and then it's working from home. That that is a big transition for compliance functions to have to deal with. Yes, absolutely. It's 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 an area that. Hopefully, now that the pandemic is moving through, that, that, that firms are, are coming to grips with, but definitely has been seen as a major challenge from a compliance functions perspective. Yeah, um, moving on just, just a touch. I mean, we've also asked firms about culture and conduct risk, which is, is deeply qualitative and is being a perennial challenge to get firms to implement robustly and keep alive as a topic and a, as a way of doing business. So we 
always ask firms what the single biggest cultural conduct risk is now being faced. And the top three responses we got from the original cost compliance survey were creating a unified compliance culture, balancing competitive and compliance pressures, and then increasing regulatory requirements. Now, in fourth and fifth position there were evidence in good culture and embedding accountability. Now, that's a pretty broad brush sweep of culture and conduct risk issues. So, Mike, how did those then also change under the pandemic? So, so the next three main points of the list, number six, seven and eight, um, were that um, the, the respondents to the survey saw that the, big, the, the biggest cultural uh, um, 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 issues were reduced real-time visibility of employees, evidence in good culture, and messaging from the board. Now, I think we've probably uh, been chatting uh, in, in even in, in the last few minutes quite a lot about um, challenges of home working, and I think we, we're seeing this as being a bit of a trend. Um, and when it comes to the, to the visibility of employees point, I think we, we're, we're, we're hitting at the same core problem here. Um, Record keeping, um, as we all know, is a key component of good compliance. It's um, even in these fluctuating times, regulators will, will want to see uh, good record keeping of governance decisions, customer interactions, operating controls, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The, 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 the need for, for good record keeping within a firm's governance is, is, is absolutely paramount. Um, the messaging from the board is an interesting point. Um, uh, the board, as, as custodians of a firm's culture, uh, have a requirement to be able to communicate approaches to the organisation clearly and precisely. Uh, and this is difficult enough to, to do in, in normal times. But in times of more devolved working, uh, more home working, to get the precise meaning and, and the messages of the firm's approach to various policies and procedures uh, and other changes uh, is very difficult. Uh, and this, this was reflected in the responses that we received to the survey. Um, so, you know, difficulties for, uh, for, for the board there, difficulties for compliance officers seeing the messages filtering down from the board of, of, of any changes. Uh, and I suppose uh, on a final point here, what, what I think um, I'd like to close this point on is to uh, make the point about skills within the compliance function. So um, uh, point number nine in the countdown was, was uh, we asked about uh, the, the change in skills that a compliance function needs to be able to react to, to some of these challenges that we've been chatting about. Uh, and um, number one, quite, uh, quite uh, strongly came out as being subject matter expertise. Um, it, it, this, is, this has been, the, uh, uh, this is no change in fairness to the cost of compliance report from earlier in the year, uh, but it's still worth mentioning because uh, today's compliance functions require a, a real broad breadth of knowledge and skills. And to be able to undertake their responsibilities and these dis disciplines um, 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 effectively does require a broad breadth of information, knowledge, skill, um, and finding this, this, this skill, this resource is challenging for compliance officers. 
and and that goes for whether it's no matter what the economic backdrop, the regulatory backdrop, the social backdrop that the that the firm or the financial services industry is working with, uh, with hap happens to be, um, that compliance officers more and more need need good communication skills to address some of these um, points that are being made around messages from the board. Because once the board has communicated a, a line on a policy, then compliance functions need to be able to promulgate that, uh, both within their departments and to the wider, wider um, organization. Communication skills when it comes to findings and when it comes to exceptions and, and, and breaches of those, of those sort, sort of policies. But also the, there's more um, hard skills, I suppose, when it comes to things like um, IT and, mm -hmm. and, um, and some of the more intricate disciplines of, of, of cryptocurrencies and cybersecurity. And so there's a wide range of, 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 of skills that, uh, that compliance officers need these days and finding it, to be honest, is quite challenging. And Mike, I mean, I absolutely the compliance function needs to have those skills. And I would suggest, particularly on the technology point, they really need to build that skill base. But what about the skills at, say, the board level? Um, don't they need to have these skill sets too? Yes, absolutely. Of, of course, it, it, is a it is a slightly different context at board level, but you're completely right. When it comes to um, IT skills uh, and cybersecurity skills and um, uh, and uh, the way that uh, organizations are moving down down the, the fintech route um, then yes boards um, are very uh, much need, need the IT um, and those sort of uh, disciplines at board level to be able to advise chairman and other directors um, of uh, of particular initiatives and, and for boards to be able to challenge those initiatives uh, more effectively. Um, like I say, a very different context, much more high level, less, uh, 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 less uh, nuts and bolts, more high level principle and, uh, and, and strategy. But nevertheless, the, uh, the, the, the subject matter is, is, is similar. And yes, boards and, uh, and compliance functions need to be able to speak um, on the same hymn sheet, so to speak. Yes, and we were very aware that at, at a sort of, I mean, even at a global level, the skills are in pretty short supply. We've got the um, IMF, the International Monetary Fund, you know, talking about the dearth of specialist skills. So I suspect regulators, boards and compliance functions are all going to be competing for those skill sets, so which makes them even more valuable. Um, so definitely one for firms to focus on and for compliance functions to perhaps think about undertaking some sort of skills audit or skills gap analysis and then prioritizing how they fill the biggest gaps that they find. Um, and it's a practical reality that they may have to pay that bit more for the skills they really do need. And at board level, if you add in the, uh, the, the need for greater diversity at board level, um, you know, you know that just adds an, another element to the complexity of this. And you're absolutely right that uh, the reflection of that then comes in the pound and pence that, that you need to to uh, to pay for this expertise. And um, um, and some firms that um, probably maybe the smaller firms find this this, this more difficult to uh, uh, to accommodate. Yeah, I think yeah, the smaller firms may well find this. Um, 
particularly difficult in terms of getting the right skills at the right price. Um, what, what number? What number are we up to on, on the, the, your twelve days? Oh, we're on. We're on the last three numbers: ten, eleven, and twelve. Are we on to the concerns arising from the pandemic we, itself? We are indeed. Yes. Ah, okay. Well, because we we did ask that specific question. Um, you know, a lot of the, the COVID-19 snapshot update report was a compare and contrast with the original cost of compliance report. But since that closed before we, we really knew how uh, difficult the pandemic was going to be. Um, but this time we did also then ask, well, OK, we've got a pandemic. It's global. All of these issues. What are the biggest concerns arising? Now, the top three were increased liquidity risk global economic impact, and employee well-being and safety. Now, that is could cover pretty much every aspect of a business, to be perfectly frank. But, but Mike, on to, on to your last three. Given those fundamentally difficult concerns that are just all-encompassing, what can risk and compliance functions do to help their businesses weather these, these big challenges? So those are the last three. Those are 10, 11, and 12, increased liquidity, global economic impact, and employee well-being and safety, um, 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 uh, all of which, um, you know, I don't think would, would, think would surprise compliance officers if they, if they looked at that list, uh, given the context and what's happened during the pandemic. But, you know, compliance functions are key in helping firms to manage um, some of these challenges and some of these uh, concerns, especially at board level. Uh, and so what could so what could they do to, to echo your, your question? Um, I suppose be visible, be visible in governance arrangements. Make sure that compliance officers have seats in, in the meetings that matter. Um, make sure that uh, they are um, uh, that they are holding relationship management meetings with operational managers, make sure that uh, they are visible, um, even more visible than possibly when they should be, would be in business as usual times. Now, of course, you know, that is a very difficult thing to do. Um, not being in the same building, being remote, um, it places um, more, uh, it, 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 it places more emphasis on being visible but equally places more challenges to be, be able to do that. So um, they need to have an increased push on relationship management and uh, uh, one way of, of being visible, um, getting closer to operational management, um, uh, retaining regular meetings, making sure that um, that um, um, that they have input to, uh, operational management decisions uh, when needed, making sure that the relationship is good so that effectively um, they can just pick up the phone. Um, I suppose some of the more twee things that 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 that, that uh, communication skills officers will tell you are, you know, make fe people feel special, make it make it, it feel as if you're doing them a favour, listen to their concerns, um, um, reflect that in the actions and changes that are being made within the compliance processes, involve them in the changes to the compliance processes. You know, um, you know, make it feel as if this isn't a, 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 a one-way discussion, make it feel as if they have a, a, have a say in, 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 in what you're doing, 
albeit in many situations, the regulations are the regulations and, and difficult messages will have to be, will have to be given, uh, but make the, 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 the grounding and the, and the environment for that as easy as, easy as, you, as you can. Um, and I, I suppose I, with that, you really do need the, the visible support of very senior management again. I mean, compliance can't and shouldn't operate in a vacuum. You need to have the very visible support of very senior management. You know, we're all in this absolutely. together, all of the rest of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, what, that, that's where we come back to the point earlier around uh, compliance officers seeing difficulties in messages coming down from the board because the board need to, need to, to deliver this message first and foremost to the organisation and their senior management beneath them. And, it is, and it's that sort of level that compliance officers need to be able to maintain relationships at um, and, um, and try and cut through any difficulties um, with the communication of, 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 of the compliance culture or messages that lead to a, to, to a, a, a good compliance culture. Um, and that could equally mean that you, that, that, that could equally be looking internally in the compliance department you know, have a look at internal compliance processes, see if they can be made more efficient and mm-hmm. more user-friendly, you know. But again, we've got, we've always got at the back of the mind that compliance officers have a job to do um, and they, they can't uh, detract from the effectiveness of t- trying to, 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 to uh, achieve uh, that role of, of, of oversight and monitoring and reporting of, of compliance within a firm. Yeah, I, I think... I mean, being a compliance officer is never an easy job, almost by definition. But I think the juggling act of getting the remote working to operate as seamlessly as though it really is business as usual. I think that that's a really big deal to get that right. And I think but I think with, you know, the support and visible support and resourcing from very senior managers, actually, it could be a blessing in disguise because it really is. We're all in this together. And I'd like to think that there are firms where the compliance function has seemed to be been seen to be even more of an enabler during all of this, rather than the you know the policeman, the no men, whatever the you know the the, the old taglines used to be. Absolutely, um, absolutely. And and I think you know as compliance develops into the future, I think that compliance officers and and senior management within firms. Have got to embrace the new technology because, frankly, this is this is probably how an element of this will be continued into the future. Okay, so hopefully, in due course, we will be allowed back into offices and 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 have more physical meetings. But to to be honest, you know, it may well be that a large a large chunk of that is now a large chunk of working life is now taken at home, and compliance officers have to adapt to that and have to mm. be able to to um, um, find the mechanisms, whether that be through Teams or Zoom or phone calls or email or, you know, whatever communication challenge are available within their firms um, uh, to be able to do that. And I don't think it, in, in some ways, it doesn't really take away from the shoe leather, you know, the, the actual setting up meetings, attending meetings, whether that be one-to-ones, whether that be operational risk committees, whether that be risk committees. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, 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 the shoe leather for compliance officers, it, it still needs to be worn down in actually attending these meetings and being visible, albeit in a all the way, if you see what I'm saying. 
No, no, I do. And I, and I think it, all of it just really comes back around to these fundamental importance of governance. The governance in all of these processes, I mean, firms may or may not choose to go back to pre-pandemic ways of working, but they don't need to if their governance structures have been sufficiently flexible that they can work more flexibly in the sense of remoteness or geography or whatever. But it comes back absolutely to the fundamentals of governance. Can you evidence you've done the right things in the right way and you've div- delivered the appropriately good customer outcomes? Um, yes, and I think absolutely. That would that will be absolutely critical for firms. Um, just sort of on that, I mean, is your sense that firms really should do a bit of a post-pandemic review. I mean, I am making the absolute assumption we will be in a post-pandemic situation pretty soon, but do you think they should or could do a post-pandemic review? Um, my my blunt answer to that is, uh, is yes, they should. Um, but as we sit here in December 2020, I think a lot of firms may have already started this process and a lot of the larger firms will have been reviewing um, activity um, as the 2020 has gone on. And um, a lot of other firms will have already planned this at a more appropriate juncture for them. And so, yes, I think a post-pandemic review um, is is, um, important for a number of reasons. So um, the the basics of whether um, business continuity arrangements and operational resilience arrangements worked, um, and what could be what could have been done better there um, to the um, more uh, in, intricate detail points around um, significant processes and did did were they able to be taken away from the office more um, um, uh, more easily uh, than than first thought and what lessons can be learned for the future so can automation um, be used more. Uh, can budgets be flexed in a way that um, creates a, 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 a more suitable environment for future um, um, disrupt- business disruptions? So, um, so yes, I think a post-pandemic review is a very healthy thing to do. And like I say, I will be surprised if a number of firms haven't already done that or are in the process of doing that. Yes, I have to say, if I put my... Um head of compliance hat back on, I think one of the things, the key things I would be reviewing is the record keeping. I mean, could I actually evidence compliance throughout all of the change at speed that happened when everyone did work from home together with, well, they are working from home, can you still evidence it? And then if there is a partial or a full return to the office, again, can you still evidence And do you have the records and the records kept to show that you have done all the right things in the right way? Um, I suspect that there may well be a number of firms who find that their records of those early days of the pandemic might be a touch sketchy um, and may need to do some sort of gap analysis and restitution there. Um, It is is absolutely possible. I mean, I, I think you know as well as I do that that in a crisis with all hands to the pump, it is the, the finer things like documenting changes and, uh, and that sort of thing that, uh, that goes, to, goes to the wire um, and doesn't get done. 
Um, but I think it's important. I mean, record keep, I agree with you, is, 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 is fundamentally important to firms, compliance officers. Um, if regulators don't see it, it's not being done, and that leads you down all sorts of sticky paths. Um, so documentation is a, is a, route, is a route to evidence, or, uh, all of that, to regulators and, and others. Um, so, uh, but I think record keeping um, as a subject, as a topic, um, is one that needs to be delved into in a little bit more detail. So um, unnecessary, the, the other end of the argument is that unnecessary record keeping is a waste of resource and therefore a waste of money. And therefore firms from a governance and a compliance perspective uh, and a risk and control perspective need to be more discerning about what type of things they want um, um, recording and for how long they need to keep those things. So for example, things like governance um, committees, board committees, governance committees, annual accounts, all of that sacrosanct to, uh, to an organization, yes, absolutely need to be documented, need to be documented in the appropriate way, to the appropriate level of detail, absolutely um, without question. Um, but when you get down to the, uh, and so um, decisions for, po for policy decisions, especially around compliance and regulatory issues, yes, absolutely, they need to be uh, documented. Um, communication of those, understanding of those by um, employees, all that needs to be documented. But I suppose when you get down to the minutiae of, contr of, of, of controls and the, uh, the significance of controls within a firm, perhaps some of the, the more routine or, or less risky controls, there may be a case for docking, documenting them, them less. Yeah, I, I would sort of, I would have a bit of a word of caution around that in the sense that given we are in the UK in the senior managers and certification regime, there's an additional need for evidence so you can show you have discharged your personal accountability and your responsibilities under the regime. So absolutely a risk-based approach, but for that risk-based approach to keep personal accountability in mind. Um, oh, com completely, uh, completely right. That is, uh, that, that absolutely is, is, is fundamental. A senior manager in an SMF role whose personal liability has increased over over recent years, which again, cost of compliance reports have evidenced uh, in both this, this year and in the past, um, needs to be comfortable that he has the documentation around whatever he, he is responsible for uh, to be able to sit with the regulator or, uh, or send documents to the regulator to be able to um, evidence uh, the approach that was taken at that time um, to to, as you say, reinforce his, his, his management responsibility. Yeah, and, and um, all records that, for, certainly over the pandemic, if, if nothing else in a post-pandemic review, I would suggest firms need to review what they've got. And then it may be a way of updating future policies and procedures so that in a future crisis, because I, I don't think we can assume there won't be another one, there may well need to be a policy on a procedure for what to record during those times. And that may well help future for, for future uh, compliance efforts in that area. Yeah. Um, we're very much running out of time. So thank you very much indeed, Mike, for, for your as ever wealth of expertise. 
And thank you everyone for listening to this episode of Compliance Clarified. We hope you found it both interesting and useful. For further information on the topics discussed and for further information on Thomson Reuters regulatory intelligence itself, there are a number of links in the episode notes. If you would like to take part in the 12th annual cost of compliance survey, the link for that is also in the episode notes and we hope to publish that report in quarter two of 2021. Last but not least, we would very much appreciate it if you would take the time to review the podcast and in particular, let us know any suggestions you have for future topics to be discussed on Compliance Clarified. Many thanks. Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.